Luke 23. Always looking out for my details, Lord, and I appreciate that. And as they led Jesus away, uh, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. And they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus, and there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Returning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? If we reject him while he is still carrying his cross, what will we do when we must receive him by faith? Two others were criminals were Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And, but, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, Save others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen I know this sounds old, but so many times we do that. Well, well, Jesus, if you're God, then surely you would do it my way. The soldiers also mocked him and coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're real, do this my way. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. If you're the Christ, everything should be perfect. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This man had a revelation. But this man has done nothing wrong. God, I pray that we would have that heart. We would not come to judge you on your cross, but we would come for a revelation of who you are. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man is innocent. And all the crowd that had assembled for this spectacle, they missed it. It's just another spectacle. When they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Happy Good Friday to all the kiddos in the room. If they're a little loud, it's okay. We're all in the same boat. We are continuing our biblical formation course uh, tonight. I know it's Good Friday, but I have like an actual like full-on sermon for you tonight. Not just, a, not just a holiday service. <laughs> we have been, uh, if you're new with us, we've been doing a course kind of over these last uh, 11 weeks called Biblical Formation. And we're coming to the end. Uh, Sunday will be our last part, and we are in our last section of Biblical Formation. We've discussed biblical understanding of, of the universe, of humanity, of brokenness, and 
Over uh, last Sunday, tonight, and this next Sunday, we are talking about having a biblically formed understanding of salvation. We are in our salvation section. And usually, when I uh, try to prepare a message to, to preach to you, I usually try to kind of narrow down to one thing I really want to make sure that you walk away from. But tonight, we're just turning on the fire hose, and I just might like, catch whatever you catch. So hopefully, you, you have your notes to take notes. And my, my goal tonight is more than to preach one simple sermon, is to give you a resource that you can revisit, that you can give to people, that you can uh, walk through with people, because I want to share a message with you simply titled in part two of our salvation section, What is the Gospel? What is the Gospel? I don't know about you, and I say that, but what the truth is, is I do know about you. (laughs) You are living in a world that is asking this question, what is the Gospel? And I know like at church on Good Friday, you're here on Good Friday probably because you're probably a pretty good Christian, and so of course you know the gospel, right? But we're, we're in a world, every, every culture is always asking of the church the question, what is this gospel? And every culture presents unique challenges and also opportunities as we, the church, try to answer for the world we're living in this question, what is the gospel? In maybe a, a, a pre-Christian culture, there, there's, a, there's the, the difficulty of, Maybe just a lack of context or understanding. There's no, there's no concept of, of what we're talking about when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a Christian culture, one of the difficulties could be apathy. You know, we've all, we've all known it. Good things, once you make them a routine, can just become things you skip right over. It happens to all of us. But in, in this post-Christian culture that we are living in, the, the, the difficulty that we are facing it's not a lack of understanding of the gospel. It's not even apathy anymore for the gospel. I believe it's a, it's a confusion and a manipulation of the gospel. This is a challenge that we're all facing, and I believe that you are facing in your life. And, and I'm feeling it everywhere I turn. And maybe you're, you're, maybe you're seeing this in your life, that we have been, um, we, we are living in a world where the, the gospel and us as Christians are, the culture is trying to manipulate us and confuse us about what the gospel is that we're supposed to be carrying. They're trying to confuse us about what it is and then manipulate, uh, manipulate it so they can get us to do what they want us to do. And I don't want this to come off as like them, those bad guys. I'm just saying, this is for all of us. And we've been talking about turning aside from our, our post-Christian, post-modern culture, following Jesus by, by coming to the Bible to be biblically formed in the way that we understand ourselves, God, the world, the world that we live in. And we must, in a biblical formation conversation, ask the question, how do we have a, how do we be biblically formed in our understanding of what is the gospel? The gospel, what, what, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel means, it means the good news. And like I said, every, every culture is asking, what is this good news? On Sunday, this last Sunday, if you were here, we started discussing who is Jesus? And tonight we ask the question, what is his gospel? I've heard it explained by some that a, a po- in a post-Christian culture, in the culture that we are living in, uh, somebody summarized it in this way, saying our, our culture is a culture that wants the kingdom of God without God being the king. What that means is that as a Christian, you are living in a world that is trying to essentially take gospel promises, gospel ideas, gospel ideals, remove from those things God and His Word, insert something else, 
to be the foundation, usually emotions or politics or opinions. And then once that switch has happened, the culture will then begin to sort of leverage Jesus. Leverage the name of Jesus to demand that you therefore then land as a Christian on a certain side of some issue, some conflict, some conversation, some cause. I'm seeing more and more this phrase being used both explicitly and also implicitly. Maybe you've seen it, especially on social media. The the gospel is blank. It's it's kind of this trend that I see catching on with Christians. It's a short way to to capture the gospel is blank. And and we just start filling in the blank with whatever we're passionate about in the moment. The gospel is blank. The gospel is blank social justice, the gospel is diversity, the gospel is inclusion, the gospel is self-love, the gospel is some political policy, the gospel is some political party, obvious. The gospel is love, the the gospel is blank. And, And usually, the reason it's confusing is because most of the time, whatever is being to fill in the blank is a good thing. It's a good thing, and and that's a good thing that we fill in the blank with good things. The the problem is when you start trying to combine all of these things to figure out, well, what is the gospel? If it's pieced together by all of these things, you start building all the pieces that you're being told the gospel is, and it gets confusing fast. It gets complicated and oftentimes contradictory because the gospel is so clearly Republican but also Democrat sometimes. Right? I mean, it's... It's getting complicated and it's getting confusing. Once it's become confusing, this list of what the gospel is, it it then becomes manipulative and, and you begin to start feeling manipulated because now that the gospel is blank, that then therefore means you as a Christian have to vote that way, post that way, celebrate that thing, protest that thing, agree with that person. Disagree with this movement. Because after all, you're a Christian. And it's the gospel. On this night that we celebrate and remember the death of Jesus, we must look at the cross and be reminded on this beautiful day that the gospel of Jesus Christ is too precious and too needed for us to allow ourselves to become confused and manipulated by the culture that we are living in. God defines what the culture, what the gospel is. Cultural movements do not. The word of God tells you how to be a Christian. Cultural influencers do not. I, I, am, I, am, I am jealous. I am jealous to be a man. And I am jealous that we would be a church found faithful to Jesus in these days. In a world that's trying to distract us, I want to be found. And for you and I to stand firm, we must do what Jesus said to do, which is build our lives on His Word. We've got to build our houses on the rock because the wind and the waves and the floods, they come either way and it is better that we be found built on the rock than built on the shifting cultural sand. My goal tonight is that I would build you up in your faith. And again, provide for you a resource that we can be revisiting and built up together in, and stand firm in the midst of the winds that are swirling around that we might have a biblically formed understanding of what is the gospel.
like I said, the gospel means good news. And, and the good news starts in Genesis 1 and 2 that we've been spending so much time in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's some good news. And He intended, as we said in His creation, these, these unions. He intended the union of the heavens and the earth. The union of God and humanity. The union of humanity and humanity. Those are all things that are good news, but there is also bad news. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. And the Bible tells us that in Adam we have all sinned and we all have personally chosen sin. That can be kind of a buzzword and when we don't want to talk about it. And, but what, what, what is it? It sounds real bad. But what is it? What is sin? Sin is, sin is rejecting or, or ignoring God in the world that He created. It's rebelling against Him. Not, not, it's rebelling against Him by living without reference to who He is. It's not being or doing what He requires in His law. And, and sin has a result. Sin results in our death. And it results in the disintegration of these three unions that we've been talking about. For us, we've been working on a simple definition of sin, that sin is living to build your own image instead of to image God. 1 John 3.4 tells us everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Psalm 14 says the fool in his heart, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64 says we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade away like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind just take us away. You are living in a world that is trying to cherry pick what is sin and who the sinners are. But the Bible is clear. We all have sinned. No one is righteous. Not even one. Not even one. Doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, you are not more or less righteous than anybody else. We all have sin, and this sin has consequences. As I said, there's the disintegration of these intended unions that God had in creation. They're broken. And therefore, we are living our lives in the aftermath of that. We've inherited that brokenness. And in addition to that, in our, own, in our sin, our very identity changes in so many ways. Ephesians chapter 2 says several things. It says we are dead to sin. Or dead in sin, I'm sorry. We are a child of wrath. We are sons of disobedience. Romans 5 says that we are enemies of God. Romans 8 says we are slaves to sin. Sin has consequences. And also sin has a penalty. Romans chapter 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Colossians 3 tells us that on account of our idolatry, the wrath of God is coming. I've already talked about sin, and it's like, okay, I can get around, I can, I can get my head around that. I've probably sinned and done some things wrong, but 
I'm a lot of things, but an idolater? I mean, that sounds pretty strong. Who's this our idolatry? <laughs> idolatry is, is not necessarily having a statue in your room. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the Creator for your hope and your happiness, for your significance and your security. We've all done that. Romans chapter 1 puts it this way, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God, sorry, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. All, all of the sin, all, all of the sin and idolatry that you and I have is, is against God. It's not just bad stuff. It, it's against God. It's against God and His sovereignty and His holiness and His goodness. It's against His righteousness. It's against His righteous law. And God is righteously angry with our sins and will punish them in His just judgment. In His just judgment, both in this life and in the life to come. Ephesians 5 tells us, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, so we're all on the list, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Our post-Christian, post-modern culture that we're living in, it is preaching to us a post-Christian gospel that really tries to manipulate this whole sin thing. It used to be that it was culturally unacceptable to talk about sin at all. We just don't. You're a bigot if you talk about sin at all, right? You're a bad guy, you're judgmental, you're a fundamentalist, you know, all these things. It used to be culturally unacceptable to talk about sin at all, but now there's this interesting pendulum swing we seem to be on that now the culture is preaching to you to passionately point out and judge the sin of those who disagree with your agenda. By all means, do not not talk about sin. Please talk about sin, specifically theirs. Is preaching to you a gospel where it is your duty to passionately point out and judge the sin of those who disagree with you and your agenda and by all means disbelieve any notion that you might have sin in yourself. This is the gospel you are being preached. There is absolutely sin, but it is not in you. It is in them. But no. The good news includes the bad news. That no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what money you do or don't have, where you did or did not grow up, what you do or don't think, what you do or don't believe, you have sinned. And you have rejected God. And you deserve His wrath and His just judgment as a result of your life and your choices. 
Thankfully, as Ephesians 2 puts it, but God. But God. But God. But God has given us a way. God has given us a way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor. This is good news. That yes, to satisfy His justice, God Himself, out of mere mercy, out of love and mercy, He reconciles us to Himself and delivers us from sin and the punishment of sin by a Redeemer. And like we talked about on Sunday, who is this Redeemer? The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God in whom God became man and bore the penalty of sin Himself. 1 Timothy 2.5 puts it this way, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. This Redeemer, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He had to be fully man. He had to be fully God. He had to be truly human. That in human nature, He might on our behalf perfectly obey the law, the whole law of God, and suffer the punishment for human sin. And also that He might sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 2 says it this way, Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. He had to be truly God so that in his obedience and suffering, he would be perfect and effective. And also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. Why did Jesus have to die? It's a question that gets asked on Good Friday. My kids have asked me that question. I've been asked that question as we've gone through this series. This is great, but why? Why did Jesus have to die? As we read in Mark chapter 14, Jesus was asking the same question. Why do I have to die though? There's got to be, God, you can do anything, which means there has to be another way that this can happen. Why did Jesus have to die. He had to die because we all have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. So He did. So Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By this substitutionary, atoning Death, He alone, He alone redeems us. He redeems us from hell and punishment and He redeems us and gains for us forgiveness of sin. He gains for us righteousness. He gains for us eternal life. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. That second list is way better than the first one. You 
who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to completely transform you. To be holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. You're not just above reproach and now he ignores you and doesn't just kill you. No, no, no. You are above reproach before him. All your sins can be forgiven. All your sins can be forgiven because Christ's death on the cross fully paid for all of them. But wait, there's more. God also, this is a big theological word, here we go. He imputes the righteousness of Christ on us. It means He credits the very righteousness of Jesus to us as if it were our own. And He will remember our sins no more. Think about how righteous Jesus is. When, when He died and you give yourself to Him, you don't get some of it. <laughs> it sounds heretical. There's no way this can be right. Because listen, I know me. You know you. Surely this can't be right. That's how good this good news is. He, he credits to you Jesus' righteousness as if it was your own. As if you had done it yourself. Ha! We're really close to April Fool. You know? Not quite. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He credits to you His own righteousness because He allowed your sin to be credited to Him. You are created to know God. You are created to be His imager to the world. But you have sinned. And you have rebelled against Him and made yourself an enemy of God. But in His mercy, he has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we will not be condemned, but saved from the wrath we deserve and have eternal life and be completely restored back to that original intention of imaging Him. John chapter 3, Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His, world, his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved through it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And all of this then, therefore, begs the question, that we see asked in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands up and he preaches this gospel, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? Repent. Repent and believe the good news. Have faith in Jesus Christ, His death on the cross. And God 
without any merit of your own, but only by His grace will impute to us the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. What must we do? We must have faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is not simply saying that you're a Christian. It's not simply going to church. It's not simply being kind to people. It's not simply even just believing in God. Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging Him as the truth. Trusting in Him. And receiving and resting on Him alone for salvation. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's salvation. You no longer live. You got, you got crucified on Good Friday. And it's no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith. By receiving and resting on Him, the Son of God, who loved you and gave Himself for you. And when you confess faith in Jesus Christ, when you receive Him by faith, you are justified. It means you are declared righteous. Done. Declared righteous before God because of Christ's death and His resurrection. And when you confess Jesus Christ and have faith in His name, you begin to be sanctified. You begin the journey the gradual growing in righteousness. You get to grow up now in the righteousness He's already given you. See, I know you look in the mirror sometimes because I do too and I say, you're not living up to it, bro. But that's why justification is so powerful. I've been given the righteousness. Now the Holy Spirit's teaching me how to live it. The Bible says that you are now no longer a sinner. You are now a saint. And that doesn't mean that you never sin. It just means your sin doesn't define you. You're not a sinner who does some good things sometimes. You are a saint who's still learning how not to sin. Praise God. The gospel of our post-Christian culture does not preach to you this salvation. We must Understand that everything necessary for salvation is found in Jesus Christ. The, the gospel, the cultural gospel that is being preached to you demands that you be reconciled to the world through your works. Demands that you be reconciled to the world through your opinions. Demands that you be reconciled to the world through your social media posts. Demands that you be reconciled to the world by the books that you read, by the way that you vote, by the things that you think, by the people you agree with, the people that you disagree with, the ones that you love and the ones that you hate. This is how the world, this is the gospel that the world is preaching to you. You are lost because you have been bad and to be saved, you must now be reconciled to the world by your works. You are being preached a false gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you be reconciled to the world through your works. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's appeal to you through His own Son that you be reconciled to Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 
and 20 says this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. This is the focus of the gospel, that you be reconciled to God. Everything, everything necessary for salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And to seek salvation any other way is a denial that Christ is the only Redeemer and Savior. Galatians 2 again says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because, works of the, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. The gospel of Jesus Christ impacts everything. But not everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not that Jesus died so the good people like you and me could use his name for our causes and opinions. The gospel is that Jesus died for sinful people like you and me so we could be restored to our created purpose and identity as imagers of God to partner with him and glorify him in all of this life and for all of eternity. And that is why this is such a good I want you to stand as we finish our time together. We're going to take communion as we worship together. I want you to go ahead and stand up and grab the elements. If you didn't get them as you walked in, go ahead and raise your hand, and our team will bring them to you. Just keep your hand up until they get there. At Jesus' last supper is crucifixion. He gave his followers this meal. And he said to do it in remembrance of him. And that's what tonight is all about, to remember Jesus. He took the bread and he says, this is my body. This is my body broken for you. Then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. A new covenant in my own blood. Isn't it good to remember Jesus? If you are in the room tonight and you are somebody who has already decided to follow Jesus, I want to invite you to take communion and remember Him. Remember this fully man, fully God Redeemer who gave His body broken for you. Who poured out His blood for the forgiveness of your sin to make a covenant with you so that you would never be alone. You would always be in a relationship with Him. And so that you could be a part of his church, the body of Christ. And I'm praying tonight as we take this, as believers, that we would get a fresh reminder, a fresh revelation of just how good this news is. If you're here tonight and you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you can choose to not take communion tonight, or you can choose to make that decision right now.
You can choose to make that decision. You, know, you don't have to know all of the answers. You don't have to remember everything that I said tonight. What you need to understand and believe in your heart is that, yes, I am a sinner. And I can't get rid of it myself. I have rejected God and I've moved far away from Him. And I have no hope other than the possibility that this good news really is that good. And before you take this tonight, if that's you, maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe, maybe you've halfway made that decision. Maybe there's been a time where now you've been walking away and ignoring Him for a while. Whoever you are, the invitation of the bread and the cup is always this. This is his body broken for you. This is his blood poured out for you. And we can take this tonight. And if you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to just surrender right now. And let this be your act of salvation. Receiving this broken body. Receiving blood in exchange for your own life. I'm going to pray for us as we do this today. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us. We pray right now, even in this room, for healing in every way that it's needed. The healing that only comes by the broken body of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as we partake of your body, we would get a fresh revelation of who you are. That you would inhabit us with your very presence. Lord, for anybody here who has never given themselves to you, but I'm praying that you would open up their eyes to see this grace and this bread. Lord, for all of us, would you receive this act of our surrender to you? Saying, thank you, God. We give you our stones and we receive them. And Lord, we thank you for this precious blood. This precious, precious blood you poured out on that rugged cross. That you sweat out in that garden as you asked for another. We remember tonight that in that moment and forever, at the cost of yourself, you chose us. And so we give ourselves back to you. We receive your blood tonight as the price that you paid for us. We confess that you are our Lord and Savior. We receive, Lord, your forgiveness for all of our sins. And we say thank you. worship one more song together before we leave tonight. We're going to invite some of our prayer team to come up to be available for you. If you need prayer for anything in your life, if the Word of God has been speaking to you in any way and there's just a way you need to respond, you need to talk to anybody with you or have somebody come and pray for you, I'd invite you to not leave on this Good Friday without getting the prayer that you need. So I want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we receive you tonight and we remember we lift up the holy name of Jesus. We thank you for this good Friday. We thank you for this good news. We lean on you with everything that we've got. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.